0: Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how to commission it, when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join Gregor Findlay and Sarah Turner, two executive coaches, for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we ask the question, team coaching, what is it and why would I use it? I'm Sarah and I'm going to adopt the position of an HR professional for today's episode. And I'm going to talk to Gregor because team coaching is your thing, isn't it, Gregor?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What I've discovered, if you really want a shift in an organisation, you really need to be working with the leadership team rather than that team as individuals.
0: To kick us off, can you just tell me a little bit about what team coaching actually is? Because I sometimes get a, I kind of think to myself: well, how is it different from facilitation?
1: The, the very first thing to say about team coaching is let's define what it isn't, and it isn't those one-day facilitation events. Mm. I, actually, I took a decision a while ago, quite a few years ago now, because I used to do lots of like MBTI workshops, etc. Mm-hmm. But if somebody comes to me and they're after a one-day team workshop, into a single off site, I actually say, I'm not gonna do it. I think you're wasting your money. Because basically, team coaching is working with a team over a period of time to enable sustainable change within that team. That's mm-hmm. the way I think about it. So within that, you may do things that you would think about like in a normal facilitation, but in the context of the team performance to quite often people will go straight to, they want the team to get along better. For example, they notice there's some tension in the team, so they might think, let's have a Myers-Briggs workshop or an insights workshop, and let's help them get to know each other better. Now, that is useful for teams, but actually it's less important than an awful lot of stuff. And so it's basically, it's the work that you do makes the team work rather than trying to make the team work so that you can do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's working with the team over a period of time on the real work of the business.
0: Yeah, I think
1: that's one of the differences. It's not about how do the team interact. It's about in service of the stakeholders and the team mission, making it work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference about team coaching. And I think the other thing that's different about team coaching is the team coach is not taking the stance of the expert. Yeah. So I'm not coming in to facilitate something that I'm an expert on. Mm. I am there to facilitate the team working together. So the team is doing the work, not the coach.
0: Mm. The way you're talking there, it sounds it's very much about thinking of the team and the organization it's in from a systemic perspective.
1: Absolutely. If you really want to get a team to come together very quickly and be aligned, then the quickest thing to do is really look at team purpose because you want mm-hmm. every, all team members aligned to team purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: research shows pretty much that if you coach all of the team members individually, they get a lot better at what they're doing, but the team doesn't necessarily perform better. They might get a 10% uplift in performance. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if two of those team members are going in different directions, they cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. So one of the quickest things to do is to go to team purpose However, that's still a bit previous because you have to take a more systemic viewpoint because you have to know which stakeholders you're serving in order to define your purpose properly. Otherwise, you get really quick working on a purpose and gelling around that only to discover you're going in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, and that's where you think about outside in, up and out and around. It's that future back outside in. That's that whole systemic thinking, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. What are people saying about the team now? Mm -hmm. What do you want people to be saying? These stakeholders be saying about you in three years time, if you're taking Mm -hmm. a really strategic viewpoint,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: really spreading the net out in terms of who the stakeholders are. So you get a really clear view who the stakeholders are, who are the most important stakeholders to you? How are they going to be measuring success? And I love the question, what are those stakeholders going to be doing when you are successful as a team?
0: Oh, I love that.
1: And that really surfaces a whole bunch of stuff for the team because they really have to put them, okay, what are these guys going to be doing when we are successful as a team? And that gives a much clearer definition of success and purpose for the team.
0: Yeah. And, and what I'm thinking about as I hear you say that is, uh, and I wonder whether this is quite important, is to define actually what is a team. I wonder whether sometimes for some of the listeners, they might be thinking, well, hang on a minute. How how could I use this with my team? Because sometimes teams can actually just be a collection of individuals and actually, in the truest sense, a team.
1: Yeah. So there are two things, really a lot of work by um, Wageman and, and Hackman. But basically they identify Three team essentials and three team enablers. Okay. And the team essentials, real team, right people, compelling direction. And a team is a small number of people with complementary skills who are committed to a common purpose, a common set of performance goals, and a shared approach. And they hold each other mutually accountable. My simple question is often, What is it that they can only jointly do together? Because if they're effective and they're not jointly doing stuff together, they're an effective working group. Now, that is okay, perfectly okay to have an effective working group and not a team. You call them a team, but they're an effective working group. And one of the worst things you can do is try and treat an effective working group like a team. Yeah. Because you're trying to get them to do stuff that they don't need to do, they don't want to do, and it's, it's actually wasted effort. Um, but a team are working together on stuff with joint goals, joint measures, joint commitment.
0: Okay. And what I'm thinking about there is, again, from an HR perspective, so when or why would I particularly want to bring in a team coach? Because you said earlier that you're working together over a period of time for sustainable change. So clearly, there's going to be some financial investment in that and commitment from the individuals to take part and engage in the programme. Help us understand a little bit about when or why we would need to engage a team coach.
1: There are lots of different things, but I think the the things on the surface, uh, immediately the things people think about dysfunctional teams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you might be a dysfunctional team, so you're really picking up a lot of heavy dynamics in the team. And sometimes if people would take a facilitation approach to that. It's more that the team are not getting results. So the team is not being effective in implementing change. Okay. What are the results that the team are getting? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first things you start identifying things like I call decision boomerangs. So basically, there's something on the agenda and it keeps on coming back. It means the team's not effective at making decisions and implementing, executing on those decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's a big clue. Mm -hmm. Another clue, what I call false yeses. In a team meeting, people will nod, they'll say they're going to do stuff, but then they go off and do something something that serves their own agenda, not the team agenda.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah.
1: You can basically ask yourself, this individual is on this leadership team. Is the leadership team their first team or is it the team that report into them their first team?
0: What do you mean by the first team?
1: So it's the team that takes priority. Okay. So the mission of the leadership team takes precedence over the mission of my own team.
0: So how, how do you work with that as a team coach, this question of who, w- what is my first team? Or which is my first team?
1: One of the norms you have to have in a team is how do you keep each other accountable? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's not how does a team leader keep accountability, but how do you keep each other accountable? Mm -hmm. So if people are committing to do stuff on behalf of the team and it's not happening, Mm -hmm. once it comes to you're you're holding your team member accountable you said you were going to do this you didn't do it what's going on Mm -hmm. you have to be able to have those conversations in the team and that would show that they're not fully committed to the team and the team purpose and the team's goal so there there are three critical norms keeping each other accountable operating rhythm often gets ignored what you might find is that the, the team will have certain meetings and they've always had that meeting. But then you ask. So one of the things I do is I, I might ask, I was doing it with this team recently and they have a weekly meeting. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, score out of 10, how useful and valuable this meeting is to you. And the, the modal average was two <laughs> out of 10, right? So they were having this meeting and everybody was thinking, apart from the team leader, everybody's thinking this is a terrible waste of my time. Mm-hmm. But nobody was voicing that concern. It was valuable to the team leader because they were getting an update on all the information they needed updated on. Mm. But a team meeting was the wrong way to do it.
0: And so is that an what do you mean by an operating norm then? Is that an example of is that what you mean?
1: So if you take like a, a public company, You've got an operating rhythm right at the top. Part of the operating rhythm is going to be that we meet the analysts on a quarterly basis. We do an interim report. There's loads of financial stuff. Now, what happens? You have your board meeting every so often. You have your executive team meeting so often. But that then drives an operating rhythm through the business. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: People don't consciously look at it and say, do my frequency of meetings and interactions serve the purpose? Hmm. Or are they just there like the furniture?
0: Okay. And you said there's a third one as well. You said keeping each other accountable, the operating norms. And what was the third one?
1: And decision-making norms. So, so what I mean by that is at one end of the scale, you've got autocracy. The, the, the decision right is owned by the team leader. Mm-hmm. And at the other end, you've got democracy, which is we are all going to make this decision together and we're all mutually accountable for it. Mm-hmm. But there's something in the middle as well, which I I call information gathering, which is to begin with, it looks like democracy because you're all sharing and discussing it. But the final decision resides with the team manager. And you need to be clear on who has the decision authority in any particular area. So to give an example, I was working with a team and the team leader really wanted democratic decision making because he wanted everybody to have bought into what they were doing he didn't articulate that to the team or he hadn't articulated that to the team the organization prior to a year previously had been really quite a fearful organization you didn't make commitments unless you really had to because you could have somebody jumping down your throat Mm -hmm. so it was quite fearful so they didn't want to make decisions They wanted the team leader to make the decision. So you had the team leader thinking, my decision norm is this, and the team thinking, my decision norm is something else. So decisions were not getting made.
0: And so back to, as an HR person, if I can see in one of my parts of the business I'm supporting, or even if I'm working at the executive level, I can see some of these signs that you've shared. So things like a dysfunctional team or these decision boomerangs or these false yeses or lack of accountability. How does team coaching actually work
1: at the basic level is about surfacing an issue and asking the question what does the team want to do about that i think one way you can look at it is there's uh, not enough heat or there's too much heat and it's enabling the team to lean into that challenge so i will always want to know from the team leader what's the thing that you really struggle with that might cause tension it's a real problem you can't make progress in it. to lean, lean into that work there's either too much heat or too little heat. You've Mm -hmm. got the team just nodding and it's very nicey. And you actually want to generate positive conflict. You want enough conflict in the team that stuff really happens, but not too much. You want any conflict to be positive in the service of the team purpose rather than two people getting at each other. Mm -hmm. So yes, in some ways it's like one-to-one coaching. You are holding up the mirror because you will expand or explore a topic and then the the simple question is okay what does the team want to do about that and you're holding the space such that they can have that conversation and come to a real conclusion that they can commit to.
0: And there's something in there for me around the power of creating that safe space for the whole team to be able to speak to or to voice whatever it is, as you say, use that word heat, that is creating tension so that the team can actually explore that together.
1: And if you look at the research from uh, lots of places, but particularly the stuff that Google has done, one of their projects identified the two core things are do you have psychological safety now, do you feel safe to speak up mm. and the other thing was equivalency of voice yeah you know do everyone get to speak as much and it's not being dominated by one or two people so you might introduce new communication practices Like from a time to think environment or thinking environment, you do rounds. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets to speak in turn and express their views and their emotions on an issue and they then learn to have equivalency of voice. And if you can get, again, the team leader to model, they end up with psychological safety.
0: And what I love about what you're saying there is it speaks directly to all the work that so many businesses are now trying to do on diversity and inclusion and creating inclusive workplaces. And the work you've referenced there that Google did and Amy Edmondson's done a lot of work around defining what psychological safety really means. And a big part of that is trust. And that speaks to everything you've been speaking about in terms of the accountability, people being able to be heard, to be able to speak up. And as you said, things like the rounds would be give everybody equal opportunity to to have their voices heard I think that sounds fabulous
1: yeah sometimes you're just enabling uh, some structure
0: Mm. such
1: that the things that need to happen can happen but just a one-to-one coaching where you create a safe container for the two of you to work team coaching is about creating a safe container for the team to operate and that's actually why it's very challenging for the team coach psychologically because there are now eight people in the room Uh that can trigger something in you rather than one person in this room that can trigger something in you.
0: Yeah, actually, I want to come back to that in a minute. The question that's just popped into my head, though, is how does this all link to high performing teams? Because that's really what that Google research was about, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everybody comes, we want a high performing team, but you have to go through different stages to get to a high performing team. So if you've got a brand new team, if you follow the Tuckman approach of forming, storming, norming, performing, if you're just forming you're not going to have a high performing team you you don't even have a performing team you've got to get there you've got to go through the stages Mm -hmm. and I think in the forming storming stages the role of the team leader is incredibly important because they need to help the team have the team coalesces around a team leader Mm -hmm. having a team coalesce without the team leader is really difficult in most cultures and organizational structures. In a few, they have the practices to enable that, but most of the time you have certain stages you need to go through. And in the first those first two stages, you're not going to get a high performing team. You just need a team. And if you come in and you're at the performing that you're at that norming stage, or just performing, and you want then you can take them to high performing.
0: Yeah, And so I guess thinking about that then, it feels to me like it's a bit of a no-brainer. If you've got a team that's got an important mission, absolutely team coaching seems like it's something that they should be having. So obviously you've talked earlier about as a coach, it's more challenging for you as a coach because you've got potentially eight people in a room that might trigger things in you. So obviously you do coaching with the team together. Do you coach the individuals as well, one-to-one?
1: I think there's a couple of things there. Often team coaching is more effective is if you can have two team coaches working in tandem. Because as you're working and you're really engaged with the team, the second coach is observing you and the team and the interaction and seeing things that you possibly can't see. And mm-hmm. then you swap over. Mm-hmm. And so basically you're doing a bit of a tag team. And you're consistently looking towards what's really going on at a psychodynamic level Mm. as well as anything else. So that's one of the first things. In terms of coaching individuals within the team, it's not going to do any harm. It really depends on the the capability of the team. So I said you have to have a real team. People Mm -hmm. have to know who's on the team, who's not on the team. You need to have a compelling direction. But you also have to have the right people. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes that you don't have the right people on the team or you don't have the right capacity on the team. You might not have, the, the team might not be the right size. It might not have the right skills within the team. Therefore, you might be doing one-to-one coaching with those individuals to, to really bring them up a level in their individual performance so they can co- contribute more to the team.
0: Yeah, I guess what I was just thinking then is, say you had an executive team and they've all got different coaches. Is there value in actually the whole team all having the same coach and then that coach then working with the team as a whole? Surely there must be.
1: There are different arguments. I will always want to work with the team leader because there's an important dynamic there. But then the team might think, okay, he's coaching him. Where are his loyalties? So basically the way I look at it is, When I'm coaching the team leader, they are my client Uh, and the individual is my client. When I'm coaching the team, the organization and the stakeholders are my client and I will challenge the team leader just as much as I will challenge anybody else. So they will see that equivalency of challenge across the norm I have worked in situations where we've just done team coaching I worked in situations where I have coached everybody Mm -hmm. so I've team coached and one-to-one coached everybody the challenge there is maintaining the trust and maintaining the boundaries between all the different you know confidentialities and you have to be very clear on what you will and won't do Like, I'm not going to become a messenger for one person in the team to other people in the team. No, that's their job. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very clear on the boundaries. It can be challenging. And then I've done engagements where I've worked with the team and the team leader and other coaches have worked with different team members. That is easier on the team coach mentally. You don't necessarily get as much insight into what's going on in the team members. But as long as we contract that us as a team of coaches, we will get together. we, We will talk about themes.
0: Yeah. okay,
1: And not about individual stuff we need to contract around that.
0: So what I guess I'm thinking now is that that all sounds brilliant, but surely that's going to be pretty expensive. If I've got two team coaches, is this happening over a period of time? Potentially there's one-to-one coaching happening as well. So can you give the listeners a sense of if they were to explore this as an option, maybe for a senior team, what are they looking at in terms of time frame and potentially even cost?
1: I think you need to be working with a team for at least nine months. Okay. But I prefer to, to, to work over a 12-month period. If you look at justification, take the team. What What's the team's contribution to the business? Mm-hmm. If we can make that team 1% more effective, what does that mean? So if your turnover's 5 million, then that's 500,000. So I'm not going to cost 500,000. So actually enabling the top, especially the top team to work well together Mm. and to be able to deliver together, it becomes a no-brainer when you start working.
0: So I haven't trained in team coaching. So is there some specific training or specific qualification that an HR person should look for if they're engaging a team coach?
1: Yes. So basically there are now team coaching certifications. Mm-hmm. I think the criteria I'd be looking for as an HR person, mature coach in terms of lots of coaching experience, because mm-hmm. it is emotionally taxing. And so I would be looking for someone with some maturity. Okay. As, as well as a formal training or accreditation in team coaching.
0: And I've heard that team coaching is the future. Can you expand on why?
1: Well, I think my, my experience was coaching people in an organisation and making a huge difference to that individual, but the organization not shifting Mm -hmm. one of the things uh, somebody's had the example for me is you can take someone who's a who's really good at bullying if you really help them they can become an even better bully you know so it's like going back to school and thinking about the vector diagrams is you have got people pulling in a different direction and unless you get a leadership team really aligned and working together jointly you're not going to perform well in the current environment if you think of coronavirus at the moment just look at the complexity and the systemic perspective you need to have all the different variables you need to deal with very quickly and deal with a lot of ambiguity one individual cannot do that Mm. a bunch of individuals working together as a team can and can deliver really good things And I think that's one of the things to think about. And and I think the team is the unit of performance now, not the individual. And Mm. Peter Hawkins, I love his saying, he says, it's about the connections, not the notes. That's where you make a difference.
0: What does he mean by that?
1: So the connections, it's the relationships between people.
0: Oh, I see. Sorry.
1: Yes. It really matters. So it's a connection between people. That's what really matters. So if you've got eight or ten people, it's the connectivity between them Mm. and what happens in the conversations and the relationships. Relationships between them that matters. It's not the capacity of the individual.
0: And so what I guess I'm thinking now, as we start to finish our episode today, is really that systemic thinking. And I don't know how many of our listeners will be familiar with this term, but it's thinking more broadly about, as you said earlier, the system of the organisation, the system of society, and thinking about the different stakeholders. And I think it's the real value of team coaching is in that. So if you've got a senior team or an executive team that perhaps has two or three away days each year, and as you say, maybe they're using an insights or an MBTI or a you know, facilitator session, that might be useful. But actually, you can see how much more useful bringing a team coach in could be to really holding a mirror up to that team, getting them to really challenge themselves on how effective they're being at working together and how much more effective they can be.
1: Yeah, it's about the work. It's not about the team.
0: So thanks for for that, Greg. I really enjoyed that. And I hope our listeners did too. It's really helped me develop a deeper understanding of, of what I already knew a bit about team coaching, but it's really cleared up quite a few things for me. As we wrap up our episode today, is there any final messages that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: First of all, I think you need to look for the essentials. Are they a true team? So can they only succeed by working together? on things. Mm-hmm. If not, they're a working group and you should treat them as such. Do you have the right people on the team and do they have a compelling direction? Now, one easy way to test that is to ask each team member, what is the mission of the team? How do you measure success for the team as a whole? If you are getting different answers to that question, you do not have a clear alignment around a common mission. And that would be a perfect example of where you would want team coaching.
0: A final question for me then, just thinking about what you're saying, I can see the huge value particularly for executive teams but you wouldn't only do team coaching with executive teams would you?
1: So you can most obviously see the benefits with an executive team I think Mm. but there are lots of other teams where it might be very relevant and particularly in change environments.
0: Thanks, Gregor. A really interesting and valuable conversation. I knew a bit about team coaching, but I feel much clearer now and I hope that all of the listeners feel the same way. So thank you everybody for taking the time to listen to our show. We really appreciate any feedback. And we're keen to respond to any questions that there are out there about using and implementing coaching in organisations. And in particular, if you've got any questions about the topic of today, team coaching, so please email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com and there'll be more details in the show notes. And please do give us a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting or video platform. It really helps us to spread the word to a wider audience. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you very much. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Gregor.